Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. You guys can have a seat and welcome to Three Creeks. My name is Joel. And uh, the people who are monitoring the number of Bluey episodes that are streaming on the east side of Columbus this week, they've seen an uptick. Uh, uh, for, those of you, uh, for those of you dads that got the kids to church today, way to go. Keep in mind that your wives do this all the time. So uh, don't get too big of a head. You don't deserve a medal. Sometimes we th- I think that I do. But uh, anyways, welcome back. Ephesians chapter 4. Five, we are in today. We've been here a little while. We started going through the book of Ephesians at the beginning of the year. And then about Easter time, uh, we decided that for the rest of the book, for the last three chapters of the book, we said we're going to kind of make some mini series, if you will. And, and the one that we're in right now is it's titled Ephesians, A Life That Honors Christ. And we're going to be here for about six weeks. This is week two of the mini series. Before we get any further, uh, if you are newer to the conversation here and are maybe a little unfamiliar with Ephesians, I want you to know that I'm really glad that you're here, and I'm going to take 60 seconds to kind of catch you up on where we've been, maybe give you a flyover of what we're even talking about today. Even if you've been here, it serves as a great reminder to remember the context of what Paul is writing. Remember that the book of Ephesians, the book that is in your Bibles, in the New Testament, The book of Ephesians was not a book that was written in a series of 66 books, but rather it was a letter written by a man named Paul. Paul, who was a first century Christian missionary, went and actually planted the church. He pastored there for three years alongside some of his friends, left, was arrested, heard about what was happening in Ephesus, and decided to write a letter. And we have it in our Bibles as the book of Ephesians. Somebody took the liberty at some point to break it down into six different chapters. And I've said this so many times, but I've, I've got to make sure that we remember this, that the first three chapters are about what God has done for us. It is about the gospel story. And then chapters four, five, and six is essentially describing our response to that good news that God sent Jesus to save us from our sins. And so, uh, man, in chapters one, two, and three, there's essentially zero commandments Chapters 4, 5, 6, there are lots of commandments, ways in which the Christian ought to walk. Uh, Maybe the most famous two or three verses in all of the book of Ephesians is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that says, nobody in here is saved because of good works. If, If it was that way, a Christian could boast, but that's not what happened. Instead, we have been saved by grace, through faith in Jesus, but we're also saved for good works. In other words, the behavior of a Christian follows that point where Christ has been accepted and received and and has forgiven us of our sins. So that's what we're talking about for the next few weeks, ways in which if you're a Christian, I guess it should be said that if you're not, if you're just checking things out today, if you're curious and maybe you haven't crossed that line and said that I want to be a Jesus follower. In some ways today, you're just kind of checking this out. This actually doesn't apply to you because Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, 
It's not a series of ethical commands to be attempted by all. These are ways in which a Christian begins to practice what they are in Christ. And when we read this, and when we go through week three and week four and five and six of this little mini-series, in every single week, you're going to have to be faced with this decision. Am I going to change for this? This is going to require every one of us to change. Perhaps our behavior, our habits, how we grew up, what we're used to. And in every instance, you're probably going to have this internal struggle. Why? Why do I have to change? And the, ample, the answer is simple, and I'll just keep saying it over and over and over, because you're a Christian, because you're in Christ, because God has saved you. And so for that reason, we change. God is in the process of changing all of us. And so if you find yourself digging your heels in and saying, don't tell me what to do, you probably need to wrestle with that question on a really deep and, and, and spiritual and personal level. Why? Why the resistance? Do you really believe that God's way is the best way or not? Because what I'm trying to do in, in this little mini-series is just kind of lay out what God says to the Christians in Ephesus that applies to us. Because remember, remember this, Ephesians was a young church just like us in a popular city just like us, meeting a school just like us, facing cultural pressure just like us, needing to mature spiritually just like us. And so in so many ways, this book is perfect for our church uh, to go through. Today we are talking, you're going to be thrilled you brought a friend with you for the first time or a family member. Uh, today we're talking about sex and more specifically, sexual immorality. There was a temple in the city of Ephesus. It was a it was something that people would travel from all over the world to come and see. It was one of the great wonders of the ancient world, the temple to the Greek goddess Artemis, the goddess of fertility, the goddess of sex. There was, there was cult-like prostitution going on in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a cesspool of sexual immorality. The more I read about the sexual culture in Ephesus, the less I wanted to tell you about it because it made me feel uncomfortable. The perversion is almost indescribable. The whole city was dominated by this cult worship to the goddess Artemis. The festivals that engulfed the city of Ephesus filled the city with eroticism, cultic prostitution, and all sorts of sexual immorality. They lived in a world where sexual, where sexual immorality was normalized, celebrated, and politicized. And if you have the, the interest in a, in a study form to go in and read about this culture in Ephesus, I, I, you'll, it'll make you nauseous at some of the things, some of the sexually immoral things that were going on. And then right in the middle of that, right in the middle of that culture, this is what Paul tells the Christians in Ephesus about sexuality. But among you, Christians, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint. You're not even supposed to go to the party. Or any kind of purity or of greed because these are improper for God's people. Not even a hint in the middle of all that. Other translations say that it shouldn't even be mentioned or named among you. It should be so obvious that you are, are not entertained by or participating in the sexually immoral culture that you just look so weird 
Not even a hint, no signs of it whatsoever. And so, but, but here's the thing. I scanned through some of Paul's other letters. I think Paul wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. And I scanned through some of those. And as it turns out, Ephesus isn't the only place that Paul needs to address this topic. That word, sexual immorality, is the Greek word pornea. It's the word that we get pornography from, right? And pornea means any sexual activity outside of God's design for it between a man and a woman who are married. Paul wrote to the Romans about pornea. He wrote to the Galatians about pornea. He wrote to the Colossians about pornea. He had to talk often to the Corinthians about pornea. He wrote to the Thessalonians about pornea. Peter, another one of the first century church fathers, wrote to the believers that were scattered in Asia, Cappadocia, Bithynia, Pontus. And he said he talked about the passions of the flesh, a.k.a. pornea. So apparently this isn't just an Ephesus problem. And it wasn't just a problem 2,000 years ago. I don't think you'll disagree with me when I say, I think this is a Gehenna problem. I think it's a Columbus problem. I think it's a, it's a world problem. And I think it's a now problem. If Paul wrote us a letter, I think he'd probably mention pornea. Half of United States Christians say they don't see anything wrong with sex outside of marriage. One in five mobile searches are for pornography. 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say they watch pornography once a month, and that just includes those who admit it. The porn industry's revenue is more than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. It's bigger than CBS, NBC, and ABC combined. 47% of families in the United States report that pornography is a major problem in their home. And again, that only includes the people who told the truth on the survey. And I could go, I mean, I could go on and on. I had to pick five or six statistics of the hundreds that, that say that we've got a pornea problem, a sexual immorality problem. We're living in a sexually perverse and sexually confused and sexually immoral culture. And so were the Ephesians. But there's a sense, friends, hear me out on this. There's a sense in which all of us, every single one of us is complicit in this. We're all a part of the problem because we entertain ourselves, let's be honest, with media, movies, and music that glorifies sex outside of marriage and glorifies affairs. This is just a part of the themes of most of the books that we read, the shows we watch, the comments we make, the memes we share, the jokes we tell. We laugh about it. You don't need me to talk, to tell you, and list out the shows. Try to think of a show that doesn't have a sexually immoral storyline or character in it. It's funny, we entertain ourselves with it, and then what happens? Then a friend of ours acts and has an affair, and we go, we are just disgusted by that. And we just cannot believe it. We're mortified. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe she went and did that. So we, so we intake, intake, intake. It numbs us, numbs us, numbs us. And then something happens in our lives and we go, 
Can you believe it? Can you believe that? Name a source of media that you consume that is championing fidelity. That, it, that is saying one man, one woman in the context of marriage, hold it, it's sacred. Name a source of media that is selling that message. That idea is mocked. But if someone steps out of bounds, oh, well, we can't believe it. So we're all a little bit complicit in this, in this sexually perverse, confused, and immoral culture. And just like Ephesus, this is what, remember, this is what Paul wrote to them right in the middle of that. It, 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 this was so unbelievably difficult for them to wrap their minds around doing. I mean, right, right now, we're already thinking like, man, I'm, maybe there's going to be a way that I'm going to have to respond to this message and, and fight back against the sexually immoral culture. And perhaps when I kind of said, you know, I don't need to list the shows, perhaps a show came to mind and, and you've already gone there where you've thought, am I going to have to stop watching that? It's like, listen, we're, we're talking about I mean, Ephesus, when Paul wrote this to them, this was crazy talk. And, and in the same way, I, I'm just going to read the verse again. Among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed. Because these are improper for God's people. Let, let me just spend four minutes on this verse specifically. And try, I'll, I'll just pull out all three of those words. Sexual immorality impurity and greed. And I'll try to explain each of them a little bit deeper. The first term there, as I previously mentioned, is pornea. It's translated in the text as sexual immorality. In the New Testament, it's a term that's used 25 different times to describe questionable or, or despicable moral sexual acts, any form of sexual activity outside the bounds of marriage. The second term, any kind of impurity, that's a carth Acatharsia. It's often used in conjunction with pornea. It refers to impurity or uncleanness, and it was a term frequently used in reference to sexual sin. It refers to sexual behaviors that defile us before God and make us unclean in God's presence. And then the third term, it's actually the term that we talked about last week, pleonexia, which means greedy or covetous. The excessive desire or the lust for more. And in the context of discussing, discussing sexual immorality, perhaps Paul is leaning into the prohibition of the Ten Commandments against coveting. Specifically, you shall not cover your neighbor, covet your neighbor's wife, which is mentioned in Exodus chapter 20. Paul is warning here of a greedy, insatiable craving for sexual pleasure, pleasure from whomever and however possible. Paul says, don't even let there be a hint to the Corinthians, a verse that was on the screen a little bit earlier during portion. He, he puts it this way. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Run away as fast as you can. Don't dance with it. Don't flirt with it. Don't entertain it. Don't stay close to it. Flee. Run the other direction. Let there not even be a hint of sexual immorality. I remember talking with a counselor when I was a camp director, a college counselor who just couldn't stop looking at porn on his phone. 
And I remember him hating it so much, but feeling like there was no way he was going to be able to break free. And we walked down to the river, his idea, and he took his iPhone and he threw it in the river. Flee from sexual immorality. Let there not even be a hint of it. And there's, a, there's this tension, when I, even when I say that, where we go, whoa, whoa, Joel. Whoa, whoa, Christian. Relax a little bit. What's the big deal? But if you think about it, that attitude of fleeing sexual immorality, running away as fast as you can, that is exactly what you want your spouse to do. That is exactly what you want your husband to do. It's what you want your wife to do. It's what we want our kids to do. It's what we want our parents to do. It's what we want our friends to do. Some of us in here have had friends reject this wisdom and advice and destroy their lives. And we think if only they had fled, if only they had run. It's exactly what we want everybody else that we love to do. And then for us, it's like, well, maybe I'll just make a few decisions that, I don't know. Everybody that loves you wants you to do that. Here's why, because deep down we understand that the consequences of sexual sin carry a different weight than other sins. Of course, we can be eternally forgiven for all of our sins, but there are earthly consequences for sexual sin that can be almost impossible to recover from. Even though culture tells us that sex is just physical, we innately know that that is not true. And sexual sin makes liars and secret keepers for life. The reason that Paul has to tell this to every single group that he writes to, and he would tell the same to us, is because naturally we as human beings are not bent to flee from, we are bent to flirt with. We, we love wanting to know how close can we get to the line without crossing it. I remember as a single person, I, I, and I've counseled lots of people who are young and maybe they're dating or engaged. And, and the question inevitably comes up, how far can we go? How far is too far? Where's the line, Pastor Joel? And I just point to Ephesians 5.3 and say, let there not even be a hint of sexual immorality, of any kind of impurity. I, uh, I, I was kind of just going through my, the, just the catalog of, of wisdom that has been shared with me through the book of Proverbs and through different letters in the New Testament and through godly men and women who have mentored me in my life. And, and I just, I kind of want to kind of close the last seven to 10 minutes of, of my message with you just with some practical tips on how to flee, on how to prevent there being even a hint of sexual immorality in your life. And, and I'm going to share some of these, and you are going to be inclined, at least with one or two of them, to say, that just seems extreme. And, and, I, and I'm just sharing, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm going to lay them out for you, and, but if you find yourself being like, forget it, man, those ideas stink. Well then, listen, even if you decide to throw these out, just please, if you decide to throw these out, sit down for 10 minutes today and scratch out some of your own tips, because this is this is too dangerous for you not to have a game plan for. This, the dangerous situations require excessive, extreme caution. 
So here's a few tips that are rooted in Scripture. Number one, we need to talk about this. If you are married, if you are a husband and you have a wife, you need to talk about this. Wife, with your husband, you need to talk about We need to normalize this conversation before it's the worst conversation you've ever had to have. You need to ask, you need to answer. Both spouses need to answer this question. What kind of friendships are you comfortable with your significant other having? If you're engaged, you need to talk about this. You need to share everything about your past. The most powerful sin in our lives is a hidden sin. Secrets grow in the dark and they dissipate in the life, in the light. Talk about it and normalize the conversation. Again, the first time that you talk about sexual immorality or sexual sin shouldn't be, can't be the worst conversation of your life. Talk about it, normalize it, make it okay to discuss. Number two, delete Instagram. Delete it. Hold the app down for three seconds. It will give you a small circle with a minus sign in the corner, and you will click it, and then it will say, are you sure? And you will say, without a doubt, You answer the question, are there any hints of it? Social media is a gateway drug to sexual immorality. We we see people on there and they look happy. They're on the beach. They're in their swimsuit. We're depressed. It's 42 degrees in April in Ohio. And, And we begin to make up this story in our minds that life would be so much better if I could be with that person instead. And we get all charged up. We create a fabricated lie in our minds. And the search feature on Instagram, you tell me if you think there's any hints of it. If pornography is a recurring problem for you, get covenant eyes on every device that you have. Sign up. I don't know how much it costs, but actually, I don't think it should matter. And then, and then you sign up people that are going to get reports. I, get, I got a report this morning from one of my pastor friends who hasn't looked at pornography in 20 years. And I look through it, and I scroll through it. Get it on your every device that you own if this is a problem for you. And you can put your group leader on there. You can put your spouse on there. You'd be amazed how your behavior will change when you put your mom on there. (laughs) Flee. Number four, don't spend time with, travel with, or eat with potentially problematic people. And you say, well, what do you mean? What's a potentially problematic person? You know who they are. If someone came to mind right then and there, you know who they are. If you walk into the office and you just always turn left because the water fountain's over there, but it's because a girl or a guy who looks nice is over there and they laugh at you or they're impressed by you, that is a potentially problematic person. If you find yourself wanting to work near someone, work out near someone, Say hi to someone. Have someone laugh at you. That's a potentially problematic person. Flee. I I have a deal with some of my close friends. It's a three-word question. We ask it all the time. 
with my closest friends, we are always allowed to ask the question, what is her name? What's her name? That's three words. What is her name? That's four. What's her name? And we have to list the name of the person that if Satan was trying to attack us, who he would be doing it with. And there are times, friends, where I have, by the grace of God, had no name to share. I've said, I, full transparency, there's nobody. And there are times where I've had to say the name of a person that I think, you know what? If Satan was after me, I think it'd be her. I think it'd be her. We're born with a desire for connection and intimacy, but it is made for the context of marriage, and Satan can destroy our lives if he gets us off track, and he will fuel that fire. Holier men than me have fallen, and I'm not messing around. Are you single or are you dating? This one's specifically for you. If you are single or you're dating, no sleepovers. Sleepovers are for middle schoolers. It's not for men and women who want to grow in godliness. If you are in a relationship right now that is out of bounds, often, you're going to think this is extreme, but I'm saying take a break for a while. Not a hint. That's the standard. You know, unfortunately, I, I was thinking about that even as I wrote it, and I thought, man, unfortunately, there's most people that are single or dating, if they're in that kind of relationship, are going to ignore that advice. They're going to think I'm some old school, Bible-beaten, whatever, Christian and they're just going to ignore it. But if you take that advice, and let's say you go, we're going to take a break. And for the next six months, I'm not going to date. I'm not going to, you're, you're going to make, you're going to set a standard that, that there wouldn't be a hint, that it wouldn't even be mentioned among you. I don't think there's any chance that you wouldn't come to me in October and say, that was the best decision I ever made. Number six, confess sin early. Man, I, I, I have let these things creep and get a little bit bigger from time to time. And man, that really constrains my desire to walk with no secrets. It, it really, the bigger it gets, the harder it is to say. My dad always has said it ever since I can remember him giving me any advice at all. Joel, keep short accounts. Sin grows in the dark. Keep short accounts. Why is it so important to confess sin early? Minimal damage. Minimal, in the grand scheme of things, minimal damage. I have had to confess to my wife multiple times, numerous times, and it is just embarrassing. It is I just feel ashamed. Morgan, I got to talk to you about something. Minimal damage in the grand scheme of things. Listen, if you find yourself hesitating right now, or if you find yourself hesitating to be completely honest, hesitating to tell the truth, 
digging your heels in at the idea of confessing your sin. Alarm bells should be going off. It's time to tell the truth. And here's the last one. Five words. Grace, 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 grace. We have to approach conversations about this from a very gracious place. Not from a place of judgment, not from a seat that is higher, but from, a, from an unbelievably gracious place. I can tell you the reason that my wife Morgan and I have a very open dialogue about these things. I can honestly stand up here before you and say I have no secrets. I don't. I lived for about 25 years with some secrets. And I got the ball rolling in the other direction. And every time I've ever gone to my wife, I've said, hey, I just got to share this with you. I'm so sorry. I'm ashamed. I'm sorry. I just don't want to have any secrets. It has been met with grace. She has created a culture of grace in my home. And I'm not telling you that there should never be consequences. I'm not telling you what the rules should be for you and, and your spouse or your fiance or the, your boyfriend or your girlfriend. I'm not trying to, you know, dictate the rules. What I'm telling you is that more than anything, I'm pretty sure you want your spouse to tell you the truth. And the only way that's going to happen over and over and over is if you create a culture of grace. If your husband or your wife comes to you today and says, I need to talk about something, be gracious. We're all under construction. God's working on all of us in different ways. Be gracious. Why take such drastic measures? Because dangerous situations require extreme caution. And the Bible says, among you there, not, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Maybe I'm living in a Christian bubble. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe I'm old school. Maybe you think I'm too extreme, but I have yet to meet the person or the couple who looks back on a sexually immoral past, the partners, the pornography, the experimenting, and looks back on it favor favorably and says, I'm really glad I did that. I'm really glad I didn't have accountability. I'm really glad I just stayed there. I've never met that person. And similarly, I've never met the person that gives all of this to God that flees, that proverbially, proverbially or literally throws their phone in a lake and strives to not let it be named among them. I have never met a person who took that step and says, I wish I hadn't done that. That's a no regrets life because wouldn't you know it, God has our best interests in mind. As it turns out, God isn't trying to kill the joy or pleasure in our life. He's not trying to rip us off. He actually just wants us to live free. And, and, and I realized like in writing this, I, I just had a sense that this was going to just feel heavier because there's people in here with a sexually immoral past that they don't want to talk about. I know there's, there's people in here who even recently have made decisions and are holding on to secrets. 
I have been speaking at different things for 10 or 15 years. I've, I've spoken about sexual morality a number of times. I don't think there's ever, ever been a time where I've, I've shared something like this, where someone didn't come up to me either that day or the next day and say, you're not going to believe this, but Saturday night, the night before you spoke, this is the decision that I've made. I, I can remember sharing this at Three Creeks one time. Somebody came up to me that night afterwards during the prayer and said, I've never done this in my life before. Last night, I went to a strip club. Did, I had no idea you were going to talk about this. I, I'm just telling you, this is something that always hits hard. It's heavy because every, if that's you today, if you go, man, I'm the one with the secrets. I'm the one that needed to hear this. You're probably not the only one. I mean, this just hits hard everywhere all the time because this is, this is an area that Satan is relentless. And if you forget everything else I've said today, and you probably will, you probably will. I need you to remember these two things. Two more sentences to finish my message. Number one, there's always more grace in Christ than there is sin in you. There's always more grace in Jesus Christ than there is sin in you. And if you disagree with that, that is Satan working on your mind and heart right now. He's trying to convince you that, you know, what you've done is unforgivable. What, you, what, what are people going to think about you if this gets out? Listen, leave that aside. There's more grace in Christ than there is sin in you. Romans says there is no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ. There's more grace. Here's the second one. If you're going to keep a secret, nobody can help. But if you tell the truth, we can start to figure this out. If you're going to keep a secret, nobody can help. But if you tell the truth, we can start to figure this out. I have, I have a pastor, mentor, friend. He's got teenage boys. And they're all battling pornea. The, the relentless attack of pornea. He's got like six boys, 13 to 22. And they're just battling. I said, man, how do you handle this as a father? When you find it, when you hear about it, how do you handle it? He says, I don't freak out. There's more grace in Christ than there is sin in them. And I've just created a culture in my family where if you tell the truth, we'll figure it out. Just don't lie. Just don't keep secrets. Just don't lie. And so his sons come into his office. He can remember all of them coming in at a different point and saying, Dad, I got something to tell you. And through that, they battle through it together to not let there be a hint of sexual immorality. Listen, if you're going to keep secrets and if you're going to lie, well, then nobody can help you. But if you could have the Spirit of God give you the courage to say something, well, we can begin to figure this out. We can begin to leave this in the past and move forward in freedom. Here's how I want to end today's service. Usually the band comes back up, we sing a song, and I come out and talk about connection cards or something, and, and that's kind of the, the, the typical service. But here's what I want to do today. I want to give you four minutes on your own. You're not going to rush out of here. They're probably still setting up the lemonade and the cold brew anyway. There's nothing to see out there yet. 
dads, come on, take advantage of a few more minutes. Your kids are checked in. They're doing great. Four minutes. And I I just want you to just ask yourself this question, God, what does this mean for me? What step does this mean that I'm supposed to take? And if the Spirit of God puts something on your heart, don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. If we hesitate, we lose. If you sense God putting something on your heart, make a move, make a decision. I know that there will be some different people on the prayer team in the back. I'll also be in the back. Actually, no, I won't. I got to stay up here. But the different prayer team will be in the back. Tyler, maybe if you'd go in the back as well. If you just want to pray with somebody, that'd be great too. But let me just give you four minutes, just you and God, before we head out of here while Brandon plays a little bit of music. And then I'll come up and pray for us. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com.